Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Hey, what's up? What's going on? What's the word? It's Pendarvis Harshaw, host of Right Nowish. Juice because today we're bringing you a new series Liner Notes Words and Wisdom from the World of Jazz Music in the Bay Area. Just so we're clear, look, we know that jazz isn't dead, it's very much alive and well, especially here in the Bay. But the question is, what makes the Bay unique when it comes to this American art form that has thrived for over a century? We start this journey by talking to someone who is not only immersed in the local jazz game, but clearly has the culture in his DNA. For almost four decades, Greg Bridges has hosted jazz music radio shows and live events here in the Bay Area. If you don't know him by name, maybe you're familiar with his voice. On Transitions on Traditions at community-powered radio KPFA. Fantastic. He's a living jazz encyclopedia who has family roots that connect him to some of the biggest historical names in the game. And he has direct links to the next generation of musicians influenced by jazz. This week on Right Nowish, we talk about all that jazz and more. Coming up shortly. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Greetings, and welcome to this week's edition of Transitions on Traditions, a soul sonic rhapsody of words, sound, and power. I'm Greg Bridges, your host for the next couple of hours, bringing you the music, the words, and all the messages within. We just heard the jazz voice. When did you know that you had the jazz voice? I didn't really know that I had like a jazz voice per se. 
when I was in high school, you know, I'd get comments that maybe I sounded older than I was. I'd get comments from people who had just heard my voice but hadn't seen me. And then upon seeing me would be surprised that I was black, you know. <laughs> Even as a kid, I wanted to work in radio. And um, most of my heroes were cats that were on like KDIA, um, KBLX, the old KSO, KSAN, things like that. And I would hear them and try and imitate some of them, you know, um, cats like Nick Harper, Big Daddy Roy Lee Freeman. You know, I guess through imitating them, I kind of developed a little something. A student of the craft, and that makes sense. Was there a specific moment, like did your voice crack while you were like walking to the pencil sharpener <laughs> or something? You know, like, the jazz cop. Man, I'm going to tell you that the first time that I really like paid attention to my own voice was when you know how it is when you're a young dude. Some girl told me that my voice sounded a certain way. So I thought, wow, okay, well, if this works for her, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe there is something there. What is it that makes the Bay Area's jazz scene unique? There's a bit of everything here, you know, um, everything that goes into jazz. There's, of course, you know, the Black and the African-American experience that's here. There's also the Cuban influences, the Latin influences, the uh, Asian-American influences. There's so much, so many different flavors here in the Bay Area. And it all comes together to make its own individual space or to blend in and create something totally new. I'm just thinking back of folks who, who are here, cats like John Handy, who is a, a, a national and international treasure of music, a guy who's well-known, a legend. You know, a lot of people of a certain generation got to know John Handy through his song Hard Work, which, you know, still still is heard like at festivals and other places these days. It was kind of a, a soul jazz type of thing. Oakland and the Bay Area has always been a wide variety of flavors of, you know, this music called jazz. And jazz itself is a, you know, is a, a varied thing. So the Bay Area just kind of lends to that whole variousness of jazz. With that said, since there are so many different flavors and angles and ways people take this thing called jazz, what what is your definition of jazz? Freedom. <laughs> <laughs> Because even though musicians, you know, they learn their instruments, they learn their craft, they learn the theory of music, there's still a freedom of expression that kind of there, there, there aren't like real rules for, there aren't real boundaries. You have the, uh, a part of the free jazz movement that's happened here in Oakland, in San Francisco, in the Bay Area. Free jazz not musicians playing for free, as my father would say, but, you know, the freedom of the music to move from place to place without there being these restrictions. For me, jazz and what it stands for is freedom. 
Before you were a jazz uh, radio announcer, you were steeped in music. Uh, your father was a jazz musician. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about his story? Oliver Johnson. Yeah, my father grew up in Oakland. My father was a drummer. He's played with some legends in this music. Bobby Hutcherson, Dexter Gordon, Steve Lacey, uh, Noah Howard, Jean-Luc Ponty, John Handy, Pharaoh Sanders. I mean, yeah, he's got a pretty, pretty nice resume. And initially, I, I wasn't, you know, as a kid, I wasn't always into the music that my father was playing. Um, but as I started getting older, like into my, my late teens and early 20s, I started um, gaining an appreciation for what my dad was playing and then really understanding it and becoming more of a fan of it. And then just finding out his history. Um, like I knew that my father played with Jean-Luc Ponty, you know, but then as I got older, looking back on when that happened, that was like, you know, 1970, 71, which was the beginning of this whole jazz rock fusion movement. So to see that my father was a part of the beginning of that, man, that just gave me another uh, another feeling about him and the music. Deeper appreciation. That's yeah, yeah. That's that's awesome that you could study family lineage and also study the art that you love. One of the reasons that I was happy to be in jazz radio and that it became you know my first professional job was that it gave me a chance to play some records that my dad was on on the air. You know, so. That's one way that it directly fed into my career, you know, wanting to be somewhere where I could play music that my father was on. Just hearing the way musicians talked about the music, hearing the way they put songs and sets together, all of that contributes to like how I might put a radio show together. I try and make it more than just playing records. You know, I try and make it something that that is kind of painting a, a, a soundscape. You've uh, continued this intergenerational legacy of jazz in your family, your children. Their names are Simone and Miles. That's jazz <laughs> influence, right? Well, in, in a way, you know. Um, okay, I was wondering. That's why we asked the questions. Okay, yeah, what's the story? So Simone, my, my oldest, her name actually comes from my ex-wife's maiden name, which was Simon. But, you know, she's a soulful sister. So, you know, <laughs> eventually Nina Simone got connected to that. But my son, my son's name is Miles. And in a way, he kind of selected his name. And by that, I mean, like when when his mother was pregnant, it seemed like he would be most active when I was playing the music of Miles Davis. And it didn't matter if it was like acoustic miles or electric miles, miles of the 60s or the 50s. It just seemed like whenever there was Miles Davis music on, whenever he would hear that trumpet or that vibration, he was more active then. And we had him home for about a week before we actually named him once he was born. And even then at home, it seemed like the music that he, I mean, the, the times that he would be most active and most aware, you know, even as, a, as, a, as an infant, as a newborn, would be when the music of Miles Davis was playing. My wife at the time, we were 
talking about his name and she said, you know, I really think he's already selected his name. And that was it, that became Miles. It's beautiful for both of them. They just gravitated toward it. And, and also not just the names, the profession as well, they're both in the music. They're both in the music, but they've kind of also found their own way into what fits them and what suited them. Um, Simone, as you know, is now Nappy Nina. And Miles um, plays and sings with a, a punk band called Baby Fang. So they both got into music and then found their own lanes. Your, your son's gravitation to Miles. And uh, I read that you've had interactions with Miles Davis. I had one interaction with Miles Davis. One, one interaction. You're right. That's more than me, man. I just, <laughs> what was it like to talk to Miles Davis? What did you say? What happened? I was working for K-Jazz, and his autobiography had just come out. K-Jazz had this contest where they were giving away, you know, giving away books to contest winners. And the books were going to be autographed by Miles. Miles was coming to town, so K-Jazz sent me out to this festival that Miles was performing at at Stanford to get him to autograph the books. Eventually... I get taken into uh, the trailer, his, his area of the rest, before he performed. And I get taken into there, and we talk for a minute, and he starts signing the books. And, and we just get into this casual conversation about music, about some of the folks that he's played with, um, you know, about my dad, because it turns out that they had come across each other. So cool. Oh. Just like, yeah, I'd have been nervous. Man, it, it was surprisingly cool. <laughs> and I say surprisingly because, um, you know, you, you read these things about Miles, and that was one of the things that I was warned about. Oh, man, you know, Miles could be pretty abrasive. He could be an asshole. He could be this or that. I'm just like, I'm going to meet Miles. I mean, <laughs> the rest of that don't matter. <laughs> but it was cool. What about infrastructure? Um, there's a number of jazz stations. There's jazz venues, um, festivals. A venue that has showcased local, national, international talent that you've been involved with since its nascent form, the San Jose Summer Jazz Fest. San Jose has been really great. It started out as like, a, I believe, a one or two day festival on one stage, which has grown into like the multi-stage entity that it is now. It's become, you know, a destination spot for people. Um, people, you know, used to look at or still look at the Monterey Jazz Festival, but Monterey had that name. It was known all over the world. So people all over the country would come to Monterey for that festival. San Jose has built itself, you know, into becoming that same type of thing. And it's been good seeing how they've been committed to presenting some of the resident artists here and putting them on the same stages with a lot of the national and international audiences. Around the Bay Area, there are little pockets of places that are you know, presenting musicians here and there that, um, that really deserve to be heard. There's this festival that's, um, that's in its fifth year called the Butchertown Jazz Festival, which happens over in San Francisco. That's become pretty cool. You know, it's been good about presenting resident talent as well as you know some some more national name 
There's also um, the East Side, the East Side Arts Alliance, which has the East Side Cultural Center, and they're the ones that put on the Malcolm X Jazz and Arts Festival every year over at San Antonio Park. But they also have the East Side Cultural Center over on East 14th, or International Boulevard for those who aren't from Oakland. <laughs> but um, but they've got the spot over there, and they've been really good about presenting resident local talent. Um, folks like Muziki Roberson or Howard Wiley. The talent is is undeniable. There used to be a lot more places, and a lot of those places have closed down over the years due to gentrification or urban removal or um, high rents or what, whatever, you know, a lot of places have had to close down. So some of those places that did provide opportunities are no longer here, but you know, how it goes, man, as, as generations come, each generation creates its own. So, you know, hopefully this generation coming up will be creating a new space for, you know, music to be heard and seen and felt jazz music um, specifically. There's always going to be musicians, you know, there will always be musicians, but those musicians will always need a place to, to play and be heard. This could be said about hip hop. This could be said about R&B. This could be said about so many different forms of art in general, specifically black art. It's a constant, especially in the Bay Area space, space, venues, platforms. Um, you as a DJ, as a host, as a journalist. What's your responsibility to the Bay Area's jazz scene? I feel that my responsibility is to to make sure that artists get heard, to make sure that people know who these artists are that they're listening to, to know how, when, and where they can see them and pick up the music. My responsibility is to continue talking about this music, man. You know? The old saying is that, what's that? Beating the drum. Beating the drum. Greg Bridges coming through with the local and national jazz history, as well as the family tales. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your insight and your time. Thanks for always being supportive of my work. It's all much appreciated. For those of you out there who'd like to know more about Greg, you can find him on the radio, on KCSM on Thursday nights at 9 p.m., and KPFA on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. And Greg is also really nice with the camera, so check out his photos on Instagram at G1Rhythm. That's G, the number one, Rhythm. Marisol Medina Cadena is the Right Nowish producer. Chris Hambrick is our editor. Christopher Beal engineered this joint. Rice Stottenborough is our engagement intern. Cesar Saldana is the engagement lead. And the KQED execs that make this all possible are Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Jen Shin, and Holly Kernan. I'm Pendarvis Harshaw. Next week, Marisol steps into the host seat as we jump into episode number two in our liner notes series, all about jazz in the Bay. Until then, take care. Peace. Right now is a KQED production. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. 
That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. <laughs> 